hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. And this is Need to Breathe Difference Maker. This was sent in uh, by my pen pal and friend Francis in Austin, Texas. himself alone Calling to the darkness for an answer that he's never known Yeah, isn't it amazing how God can take a broken man Yeah, let him find a fortune let him ruin it with his own two hands Climbs on up the hill on the rock on which he stands. He looks back at the crowd. He looks down at his hands and he says, "I am a difference maker. Oh, I am a difference maker. Oh, I am only one that speaks to him. I am friendliest to friends of God." himself alone Calling to the darkness for an answer that he's never known Yeah, isn't it amazing how God can take a broken man Yeah, let him find fortune, let him ruin it with his own two hands Rock on which he stands, he looks back at the crowd, he looks down at his hands and he says, I am the difference maker. Everything I've seen and I have felt the fire Get put out by too much gasoline We're all strangers passing through a 
place in town Afternoon, life is but a vision In a window that we're peeking through Helpless conversation with a man Who says he cares a lot It's a passive confrontation About who might throw a punch or not We are all transgressors We're all sinners We're all astronauts So if you're feeding death Then raise your hand But shut up if you're not off the album Rivers in the Wasteland by Need to Breathe. The title of the track is Difference Maker. I know some of you, if not many of you, feel like you're out there and hopefully making a difference. And I think indeed you are. I had a substack on Thanksgiving where I just gave thanks to dissident voices to just express my appreciation for people standing up and all different walks of life, uh, politicians, media, uh, those uh, who are public figures, uh, doctors, healthcare workers, and so many. Can you imagine if we did not have another viewpoint, another, um, just another narrative compared to the worldwide government narrative right now? Where would we be? Uh, and I enumerated multiple uh, points that I, where, where I thought we'd be uh, if we did not have any, think about this, if we did not have any dissident voices, if we didn't have any other points of view, where would we be? And this is what I put in my substack. I said, what would Thanksgiving look like with no resistance? It could have been far along the path to a new world order. And I enumerated the following. I think with no counter-narrative, if none of us uh, spoke out, none of us got on TV, none of us uh, wrote a word about this or, or uh, published a podcast, listened to a podcast, shared it with someone else, I think these seven things would have happened. Number one, we would have had continued lockdowns and COVID-19 zero contagion control measures, meaning that it would have been like China. Number two, 
massive financial deficits due to countermeasure spending, which is simply uh, a wide open door. Treasuries being drained dry by the biopharmaceutical complex. Number three, digital vaccine passports and restricted travel. No doubt about it. Uh, The G20, the uh, World Economic Forum, many governments want that. Number four, digital currency. No doubt about it. People want to see control over currency through electronic means. Number five, threatened bank accounts. We've already seen uh, PayPal threaten those who are accused of COVID misinformation with a fine. And presumably they're going to get a list of uh, suspects or targets from a government agency to do so. Number six, forced vaccination against bodily will. I think that would have happened. We, We would have had army reserves coming down the streets and forcing the vaccines into us. And number seven, a deeply disabled populations with myocardial disease, thrombosis, neurologic problems, and record death rates across all age categories. I think those seven things uh, for sure would have would have happened. And in fact, we are in many ways at uh, you know a pausing point or a, uh, a stalemate where uh, there is resistance. The current rates of anybody uh, taking a COVID-19 vaccine in the United States right now are about 10%, means 90% of people have have had enough. Now, I wanted to play a brief clip from Dr. Retsef Levi, uh, and he was recently on American Thought Leaders, which is a wonderful program uh, done by Jan Jekelek at uh, Epoch Times. And Dr. Levi uh, Levi is at MIT. Uh, I sat next to him at a meeting in Washington, a scientific meeting in Washington earlier this year, and I was really impressed with him. He has been working so hard, uh, and he gives uh, an analysis here of his work uh, on the uh, cardiac arrest and paramedic calls that occurred uh, in Israel during the time of the vaccine rollout. Let's listen to Dr. Retsef Levi. Uh, We actually found that there is a temporal correlation between this increase starting in early 2021 and the launch of the vaccination campaign uh, in Israel. And specifically, we saw a temporal correlation uh, between the number of doses that were given to this specific age uh, group, 16 to 39, and the number of EMS calls uh, with with cardiac arrest and uh, heart attack diagnosis. Interestingly enough, uh, we did not see or we did not find the same statistical correlation with the number of infections, COVID-19 infections, within the same age group. So where does this leave us? Uh, It leaves us with a concern uh, that first there is an unexplained increase of some pretty serious uh, healthcare events among young individuals. This is not something that is supposed to happen. Um, and with some even more concerning signal that there is some temporal correlation uh, with, with the vaccination campaign. Now, just to put this in context, the paper uh, does not have enough data or the right data to conclude that there is a causal relation between the vaccine and, and the increase that we see. But it definitely calls for a very thorough uh, investigation to understand with uh, more refined data, more refined individual data, uh, what is happening. Uh, unfortunately, um, one would, ex- would expect that the Ministry of Health in Israel would embrace this as something that uh, will cause them to initiate uh, an investigation. But um, uh, the fact and the reality was that they uh, basically launched a- an attack on us, uh, both in the public domain, 
uh, as well as uh, even actively trying to approach the journal and uh, ask the journal to retract the paper. Um, this is very unfortunate because the only thing that the paper is doing is highlighting a few facts that are concerning and asks that uh, things will be investigated. And in fact, the paper explicitly says that potentially there could be multiple causes for this increase, including per perhaps some, uh, uh, some role of that could be related or associated with infections of COVID-19. Uh, but this temporal correlation that we see with the vaccines uh, seems very concerning, particularly because there is some uh, plausible mechanism Mm. of why we would see that. So that was uh, Dr. Retsef at Levi. And, you know, the disturbing part of that is uh, he points out that, you know, he publishes this in a very good journal and it was widely cited. And uh, instead of the Israeli government launching an investigation to why young people are having cardiac arrests with temporally related with the rollout of the vaccines, instead they approached the journal to try to retract the paper. Uh, prima facie evidence of a cover-up. Uh, this is uh, extraordinary. I think everybody all over the world simply needs to, to be aware of what is going on. It is uh, uh, the type of development everybody uh, should look at and look at very carefully and look critically. Those of you inside government, make your difference uh, be a difference maker, just like that um, that music video I sent. Uh, use your power, use your influence. Uh, it's going to take skill. It's going to take cunning. Uh, but you can make a difference. We have to turn the ship around. This is going nowhere uh, good for us. Uh, quick update on a recent book released. I think all of you should pick up a copy of it. It's the first book that basically gives a manual of how to deal with all the issues on the vaccines. The title of the book is COVID-19 Vaccines and Beyond, What the Medical Industrial Complex is Not Telling Us. And uh, the authors are Dr. Sally Saxon, who's a, an attorney, uh, Deborah Vigilioni, who's a physician in Florida, and Dr. James Thorpe. Uh, he's been on the McCullough Report. He's a very prominent obstetrician gynecologist, and uh, they give a, a wonderful um, review of what we know on the COVID-19 vaccines and, uh, and give us a lot of information on the next steps. If you want a book to actually give to government leaders or you need some summary of uh, where we are in the vaccines, uh, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful uh, monograph, basically. And I wrote the back cover for it. And um, I said, this fast reading text will serve as an invaluable guide for each and every family member trying to navigate the vaccine disaster. Be sure to give this book a careful read and keep it in place for a handy reference as the topic is bound to resurface in the next few years. And uh, for sure, you're going to have family members who, um, you know, who uh, become pregnant, for instance, and it, it will come up of, uh, you know, should they take a vaccine or should they not? And uh, and it'll keep going and going. Uh, President Biden has just announced that in the next six weeks, there's going to be a giant booster campaign to um, get the rates of people accepting boosters to higher levels. Uh, so a final thing I want to give in this monologue uh, segment of the McCullough Report is give you an exciting announcement. 
that we've just released a trailer for our book and uh, it's largely to garner interest in whether or not our book, Courage to Face COVID-19, should become a major motion uh, movie. And um, so I want you to have a listen to the trailer. Let me know if it's if you think it's exciting uh, and you can share this with others. It's on my Rumble channel. And uh, you know, many think that we do need to make this exciting. We need to make it a movie because we want more people to wake up to what's going on. So let's listen to the movie trailer. This was written by my co-author, John Leake, best-selling author and produced by a wonderful, uh, young, talented man, Daniel Hancock. Let's take a listen to this. A deadly virus emanating from Wuhan, China is sweeping across the globe. Something is off. The disease caused by the novel coronavirus has been titled COVID-19. What we're being told doesn't add up. In this crisis that we end, Congress passes a multi-billion dollar bill that will bring... There is no cure, no way to treat this illness. All we can do is wait for a vaccine. All we can do is wait for a vaccine. There must be a doctor out there who's questioning this. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm the Vice Chairman of Internal Medicine. The only chance to reduce the risks of hospitalization is early home treatment. We can beat this pandemic. Patients actually think the virus is untreatable. There's such a focus on the vaccine. Where's the focus on people sick right now? The pressure to suppress any hope of treatment is extraordinary. Why the single-minded focus on the vaccine? What is that? What is that about? That's really going to be the goal of investigative reporters to figure this out. Unprecedented lockdowns. Devastating economic damage, huge violations of personal freedom, families separated from their loved ones, all in the name of a medical emergency. Things won't go back to truly normal until we have a vaccine that we've gotten out to the entire world. The hope we have of protecting our communities is to get a needle in every arm. I am not going to follow what you are suggesting and let the virus slaughter my patients. John, I'm watching what's happening. This is a treatable illness. I don't think this is a matter of academic debate and confusion. What the evidence shows is that this is an organized criminal enterprise. They call this a business opportunity. People need to know the truth. We are witnessing the greatest organized crime in history. To the tune of trillions of dollars. The biopharmaceutical complex is using censorship, propaganda, and manipulation to keep people living in fear. But what we need now is courage. Wow, that really got me pumped up. Uh, I hope you like it. Go to my Rumble channel. I'm going to go ahead and post it there. Let me know what you think. Uh, we had a lot of fun making it. It's amazing how long it takes to shoot something like that. And it gets down to a two-minute trailer. But, you know, hopefully I move on to a movie if it's going to be of sufficient public interest. We have to end the monologue here because we need to get to the back side of the McCullough Report. I bring on Josh Yoder, who's a pilot, and he is leading a non-government organization called Freedom Flyers, and it deals with the safety of pilots. 
and a very concerning event that just happened at Chicago O'Hare Airport. I want him to give you all the details, so uh, stay tuned uh, for McCullough Report on the other side. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. I want to spend uh, just a little time on rethinking COVID disinfection, and I'm talking about the Genesis Fogger, the 2.6 HOCL Fogger. I'm on their website now, and you should check it out. It shows the unit with its uh, portable strap. Uh, it's basically a, um, a unit that uh, uh, sprays a clean, dry mist into the air. It uh, uh, combats what's in your air, including uh, bacteria, viruses, uh, mold spores. It's handy. You can certainly carry it from room to room. And uh, the, uh, you get a discount on the uh, purchase of the fogger itself, the, the unit. Uh, and you want to capitalize on that by going to the America Out Loud uh, talk radio website and then clicking on the banner bar for Genesis Fogger. If you go straight to the Genesis website, you're not going to get the discount. So do that first. Now, the disinfectant comes in a uh, one-gallon uh, large jug and that's for $29.95, which is very affordable because I can tell you that is going to last a very long time. Or you can buy the 32-ounce um, disinfectant quartz. And that may be better. That's what I have. Uh, and you can get four of them in a box for $55. And again, it's going to last you a very long time uh, because the fogger uses relatively little of the um, the liquid disinfectant per time as it creates this uh, dry mist. And uh, it certainly is very effective. It is safe for the entire family. It's hypoallergenic non-toxic. There's no respiratory skin or eye irritations. Um, there's nothing more effective than this uh, in terms of its kill rate. Uh, the viruses and the organisms uh, seem to develop no resistance to this because it is uh, virucidal. And uh, you know the suggested use that already Genesis serves, they serve uh, restaurants and hotels, gyms and fitness centers, schools and universities, uh, veterinary care and companion uh, animal centers, dental and medical offices, nursing homes and healthcare facilities. I've been saying for a long time, I think public facilities uh, should get the Genesis Fogger. I think they definitely need to use it in public restrooms where the air is so stale and, and you can just tell the air needs to be cleansed in public restrooms. And then in the website, they do cite studies on the methods of the Genesis Fogger uh, that have been um, uh, registered at the US, uh, the USDA, the National Institutes of Health, and the FDA, uh, all uh, very solid. And then they show some applications where it's used um, in action, uh, including uh, someone in a hazmat suit uh, at the CDC ha headquarters, which, uh, you know, the hazmat suit I think is overkill, but, you know, granted, they could have been dealing with. Uh, Ebola or some other crisis. We certainly don't need hazmat suits for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. And, and then it gives some uh, testimo uh, testimonials um, in terms of um, Robin in Tennessee had a flood and they couldn't get rid of this kind of mold, moldy smell. And um, the Genesis Fogger she put into place and it really uh, cleared it up. And then a testimonial from a dental office 
So I, I really think that this is a wonderful product. Uh, uh, you know, at Maricot Loud, we only uh, have advertisements for products that we use ourselves and that we, we think are very effective. This one uh, plays a role. I have my main unit like this uh, deployed at some, uh, some business properties for that reason. And then uh, some of you have heard that on the pulse that uh, I do have the uh, shelf unit that I need to assemble and get into action before the holiday season. So uh, two units to look at, uh, Genesis Fogger, check it out on uh, the America Out Loud Talk Radio website. Go to the banner bar, Genesis Fogger, click on it. Make sure you get the discount on the purchase of the unit because that unit is you know, your big upfront investment and then uh, the replacement disinfectant solution is very affordable for uh, what you get and in the volumes are, are because it's diluted in water uh, you don't use nearly as much um, as you would possibly think and the supplies will last you a long time as they have for me so take a look at genesis fogger and let's move on with the program let's get real let's get loud on america loud talk radio this is the mccullough report we know you love the versatility and portability of the genesis fogger but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. The spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America Out Loud. We are the voice of a nation, the American nation that is. This is Malcolm Out Loud. I invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com where the fight for liberty and justice continues. America Out Loud Talk Radio. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan a plan based on real science that responds to the real-world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure, a plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's a great pleasure to bring on a relatively urgent basis to the microphone, Mr. Josh Yoder. Uh, Josh has a long and distinguished military career in the U.S. Army and he's also a commercial airlines pilot and he has a report to give us on a recent incident of a pilot who got into trouble in the air. Josh, welcome to the McCullough Report. 
Well, Dr. McCullough, yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, the incident that you're referring to, it happened on the 19th of November. Um, there was an American Eagle flight 3556 in Chicago's O'Hare Airport. They were, they were cleared for off, um, and about 90 seconds later, um, there was a call from the crew uh, talking about how the, the captain had become incapacitated. He was actually a captain in training. His name was uh, uh, Patrick Ford. And so it's it's what we've been warning about at U.S. Freedom Flyers for well over a year now that that um, you know we were going to have you know pilot incapacitations from the side effects of all these shots that were mandated on pilots. And this isn't the first time that it happened, but it was um, it was an incident that um, it was it was a very close call. We know for sure that they were below five thousand feet uh, because when the when the other pilot did um, check on with air traffic control, they were told to climb and maintain five thousand. So it happened low to the ground. Um, and the lower you are, you know, the closer you are to the ground, the more risky um, it is, you know, when you have a pilot that becomes incapacitated. Um, so what we know from from people that were on the aircraft, um, what I've what I've been told is that um, the the captain was actually um, pulled from his seat, I believe, with the assistance of other crew members. Apparently, there was another pilot on board um, as, as well as two doctors as well. And they, they tried to revive him uh, with no success. But fortunately, the flight was able to return. Um, to Chicago O'Hare Airport and um, land without incident, and then the uh, that pilot was then you know the the captain was then taken to the hospital where he's pronounced dead. So uh, so if you just can recap, so the the flight the, was the flight in the process of taking off or landing. It was in the process of taking off uh, from the point where they were cleared for takeoff. The first radio call was approximately ninety seconds later. So you know that airplane was probably on that runway for you know 45, 45 seconds to a minute. So we know that they were, you know, they had just taken off uh, when this incapacitation occurred. And, and, you know, it happened to a, a very young male. I believe he was in his in his mid 30s. I'm told by someone who knew him that he was he was very fit. He was a runner. Um, you know, this isn't normal. This isn't, you know, we've had pilot incapacitations before. I mean, it's something that we train for. But we've never seen them at, at the rates that they're not occurring. It's not happening just here in the United States. It's happening all across the world. So he's so he's 36. He's healthy. They're taking off. He has this cardiac arrest. I think the disturbing thing, two doctors on board and they can't resuscitate him. What type of um, kits or uh, defibrillators do they have on the planes nowadays? Um, yeah, so I'm not, I can't say 100% for sure that he went into cardiac arrest. Um, we know that he was, he was incapacitated. As a matter of fact, I believe the other pilot on a radio call, um, I believe his exact terminology was that he's out. Um, as far as we, we do carry um, AEDs on the aircraft, every aircraft has them. Um, as we know, you know, in the case of Captain Bob Snow, that's what ultimately saved his life. Um, you know, he also collapsed in the flight deck, but fortunately it wasn't during flight. It was six minutes after touchdown when they were, you know, they had just pulled into the gate in, um, in Dallas-Fort Worth. So, you know, I mean, this is um, this is very concerning. I'm, I'm hearing about this more and more. It's, it's becoming a, a, a frequent topic. Um, you know, not all of these pilots are, are necessarily dying in flight or even in the airplane, but it's happening at home. I know of so many, so many cases of, um, of, of young guys who have just dropped dead. So, you know, I can tell you as a cardiologist, I've had many calls for doctors on airplanes over the years. I bet I've had easily more than a dozen, including full-blown cardiac arrests. But because in this case, it's immediate and people are around them, uh, that AED can uh, apply electricity very quickly. Once the pads are on, we simply hit the button to analyze and just don't touch the patient at all and let the uh, let the device analyze. And then the device itself decides if it sees a shockable rhythm, either ventricular tachycardia or ventricular fibrillation. And it'll say, uh, you know, identify the rhythm clear. 
it seems like when we're doing it, Josh, it seems like it takes forever, but it's actually pretty quick. And then it will deliver uh, a shock to the patient and then reanalyze. Uh, in this case, uh, we'll have to get all the details. But if the initial rhythm when they applied the pads, and I'm sure they did, indicated no shock, then that makes it more likely it's called electromechanical dissociation, meaning that the heart is in a normal rhythm, uh, or sometimes it's in a, a, a slow heart rhythm, but something else has caused the cardiac arrest. The leading uh, cause of someone to have electromechanical association on a plane is a pulmonary embolism or a big blood clot that shoots to the lungs. And uh, that, that's really the cause of, of death. The reason why I say this, he's 36. And if it was ventricular tachycardia, ventricular fibrillation, Josh, and they apply electricity, he should have been shockable. He should have been shocked. He should have been revived. And the fact he wasn't revived with two doctors on the plane is leading me towards this thromboembolic diagnosis. Have you heard through your channels of um, pilots getting blood clots and needing blood thinners? I have, yes, it's actually a very common problem. Um, this is something that, you know, over the course of, you know, the past year, year and a half, uh, when, when pilots started to take these shots, um, blood clotting is a, is a major um, issue as well as um, pulmonary embolisms. And that, that's been something um, that I've, I've heard quite a few times uh, from my sources uh, that reach out to me. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. You know, we're, we're waiting for more information to come out. It's going to be interesting to, to hear what the FAA has to say. Uh, they did say they're obviously going to launch a full investigation. But what, what that means um, is anyone's guess, because the FAA should have never allowed pilots to take the shot in the first place. They completely failed their, their charter to maintain the safest aerospace system in the world. And I don't believe that they're going to be admitting their mistake anytime soon. I think um, quite the opposite. They're probably, they're probably in full cover-up mode right now. Well, the FDA fully warns uh, about heart damage and inflammation and blood clots, and the FAA ignoring the FDA warnings, uh, I think, is deeply concerning. You know, on my Substack today, Courageous Discourse, I give the quick vignette of Al Roker, our beloved weatherman on TV. Uh, Al takes a shot in January. Actually, it's televised, and he talks to the doctor. The doctor's enthusiastic, tells Al the uh, shots are, quote, absolutely safe, end quote. L takes one. And it turns out over the course of a couple of years, he probably took a total of three or four shots. He takes the booster in August. Then in September, he gets COVID. And now in November, blood clots that shoot to the lungs, pulmonary embolism. And L Roker, our favorite weatherman, is in the hospital with blood clots. Josh, what I'm pointing out is I think the getting the injections where the body gets loaded with the spike protein and then getting the infection and having another uh, exposure to the spike protein is progressively over time loading these people with a pro-blood clotting factor, the spike protein from the vaccine as well as the infection. Uh, what percent of pilots do you think have actually had COVID? They've had the respiratory infection. You know, I, I don't know what percentage. I mean, you know, many of us, obviously, um, <clears throat> I know, you know, many that had very mild symptoms and others that, you know, were hospitalized. I mean, it, it was something that was, it was obviously prominent, you know, during, during 2020. Uh, but what's, you know, we, we didn't hear about pilots dropping dead from COVID. This didn't start until after the shots were, were forced on us, you know, last fall. And it seems like, you know, as, as the year progresses, um, there's just, you know, almost every day, more and more reports of, of pilots that I know that are that are having issues, you know, many of them grounded at, at American Airlines. There was a 300% increase in long-term disability claims, and that was just um, between a period of, of um, 
January and, and July of this year. It, was, it came out via um, a, a union email. So this is a problem that I don't think is going away. I think it's going to get a lot worse. And unfortunately, the companies and the FAA, they're not being proactive to address it. And, and I think if it's something that we allow to continue, um, aviation could look very different in a few years. You know, I think uh, one of the sources of data I frequently quote is the um, the CDC vSafe data, which was released under court order to the NGO ICANN. And it was reviewed on Fox News primetime by a lead attorney, Aaron Siri. And the data were striking. It, 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 among people who use the vSafe um, cell phone app to report their symptoms, 25% of people who take a vaccine, they're incapacitated the next day. They can't go to work or the next day. Seven to eight percent are hospitalized. That's how serious this is. So, uh, are, are, do you hear through your networks that there's scheduling problems where where pilots take the vaccine, they can't go to work the next day, or or stewardesses or other flight personnel? Yeah, I mean, it's it's become very apparent that we have a tremendous um, scheduling issues within the airlines, and and it's not just from the shots. To be fair, I mean, there, there's a variety of factors that contribute to that. But one of the things the airlines never planned for was was the number of people. Um, that would be, you know, w- wouldn't be able to work um, due to the side effects that we're seeing from the shots. As a matter of fact, I was just speaking to a captain friend of mine yesterday who was flying um, with a flight attendant. It was a young, a young flight attendant. She was complaining of chest pain. I mean, this this is a this is a common story. I, I hear about this on a on a daily basis, and it's really sad, you know, that that the airlines, you know, they not only did they break the law when they mandated an emergency use authorization drug, but they they've harmed the lives of, of countless of their employees. And I think our number one focus, my number one focus at this point is, is finding solutions for the injured. Now, at this point in time, um, among the major airlines, uh, you know, I fly in and out of DFW, so I, I know them pretty well there. Which ones still have uh, absolute mandates for vaccines for the flight attendants and the pilots? Many of the companies have actually backed off now, and that was due to the tremendous amount of pushback that was you know, that you know was given to them by employees last year. Unfortunately, you know, before the mandates or before they started accepting you know religious medical exemptions, uh, finally in January, uh, the, the damage was done because so many people who didn't want to get vaccinated they went out and they took the shots, and they did it under threats and threats and coercion. You know, first first the airlines started out by paying people to go get vaccinated, giving extra vacation days and that type of thing. And then when the carrot no longer worked, they came out with a stick and they said, you're going to be vaccinated by November 24th or you're fired. And that's obviously um, very concerning for, for pilots. I mean, it takes us many years to get to these positions and it's it's not an easy decision. And and so many people did this against their will. And um, I, I think there needs to be, you know, there, there has to be accountability uh, for all the harm that's been done. That's what U.S. Freedom Flyers is working on. Um, we're bringing lawsuits. Um, and obviously, like I said, we're also, you know, looking for solutions for the, for the vaccine injured. And, and we need the public support. If people can go to usfreedomflyers.org and please donate there, we would really appreciate it. Uh, it sounds like certainly a worthy cause and you're making progress in the courts. I, I think the fact that the companies backed down on the mandates was in large part due to your efforts at US Freedom Flyers and uh, really all those who are pushing for, for freedom. Uh, you know, I fly a lot, probably you and, and many of our listeners do. We need safety of the flight crew. There's no doubt about it. And uh, what happened here, this is deeply disturbing. Uh, the, uh, the the entire passenger manifest was put at risk here. And I know there's always two pilots, but when there's a cardiac arrest in one uh, and there's all kinds of commotion, cardiac arrests are messy. 
There is uh, all kinds of human factors. Uh, there, there are uh, uh, things that break. We're trying to get the patient to the ground. There's many times vomiting, secretions. Uh, it can't be easy for the pilot who's still trying to pay attention to keep that, keep that plane um, where it's supposed to be and not have a, a mishap. What happened with uh, pilot Snow uh, was also a, a near miss. Now there, the the plane had already landed. What what's the vignette there, Josh? Um, so with with Captain Snow, um, yeah, obviously you know that that flight landed in, in Dallas, and it was six minutes after touchdown. You know they had just pulled into the gate, and uh, you know Captain Snow stood up to collect his bags. And very fortunate for him when he experienced you know sudden cardiac death. There was um, a nurse and a Navy corpsman on board that flight, and they were able to perform CPR immediately and hook him up to the AED. You know, he didn't wake up. He was uh, intubated. He woke up 24 hours later in the ICU with no recollection of, of what had happened. You know, and it, it's, you know, there, there are so many more cases that I'm hearing about, uh, hearing um, about that are very similar to these cases across the world. In Australia, it's a major issue as well. Um, I think believe there was just um, another captain who died in flight. I think believe it was Indonesia. Um, so this is something that, that's going to continue if we're not proactive. And I'm really curious to see what the FAA and the airlines uh, have to say about it, because they're the ones who caused the problem. In the case of Captain Snow, uh, so the, uh, it sounds like the onboard defibrillator was used. Do you know who intubated him? I, I don't know who intubated him. I think there was a, a crew of paramedics. I would assume that's who it was. That was actually the gate. Um, for an unrelated incident, they were they were just right next to the aircraft, so they were able to get to him uh, very quickly. Um, you know, and, and it's very fortunate for him because I'm sure you can shed more light on this. But you know, most people who who you know experience um, sudden cardiac death, I mean, it's a my understanding is that it's a very low probability that they're survived. You know, if they don't receive like immediate care. So I know Captain Snow feels very fortunate. It's true among those with witness cardiac arrest that somebody watches it happen. Uh, to have the defibrillator in place, someone there to, de, uh, to intubate, get an IV going, all the nurses and doctors listening to the McCullough report will know. Uh, it, it really is hard to put together that coordinated effort. I do have to say, Josh, that I know somebody who's a paramedic at DFW Airport. And I asked him, I said, you know, is that a pretty sleepy job? It sounds like, you know, it's an airport. He says, are you kidding me? He says, we get calls all day long. There's always something going on at the airport because there's so many terminals, so many people. And uh, I never thought about it. But uh, in fact, being the paramedic unit assigned to a big airport like DFW is a, is a pretty busy job. And I imagine since the widespread COVID-19 vaccinations, it's not just the pilots and the, um, the flight attendants, but it's also the passengers. So many passengers have, have taken the vaccine. Do you have any data or any uh, anecdotal reports about in-flight emergencies with the passengers, uh, you know, on the way up or down or anything notable? Um, yes, actually, I, I don't actually have the data in front of me, but I have a friend who's an air traffic controller uh, down in Atlanta Center. And he called me about a month ago and he said the number, the increase of medical diversions has increased um, so significantly that it, it's, a, it's a common um, topic among some of his friends. So I, I know that's definitely happening. I, you know, I hear the same thing from pilot friends of mine. Um, I've had medical divergence myself. Um, I, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but that would be it would be really interesting to go back and look at year over year data um, from from the FAA. And so, are there ways to publicly analyze this data um, regarding either from the FAA or isn't there a pilots association union 
that keeps track of of various sorts of of information like this? The the unions and the FAA should have access to this. I don't believe it's um, I don't believe it's publicly available as far as the FAA goes. But there may be a way to file a FOIA request and actually get to the bottom of that. I think that's something we need to start looking at. Um, it would be interesting to put you know the the increase in long term disability claims. Um, the the medical flight diversions um, among other data and put them put them side by side overlay the the information to see if the percentage of increases uh, correlate. And how about data on uh, pilot mortality? There there must be statistics. The pilot um, population doesn't have a lot of inflow or outflow in terms of new pilots and retirement. So that must be something that's tracked: the number of pilots who pass away per year while they're currently employed as a pilot. Yes, it's, it's certainly tracked by the companies and, and also, I believe, by the unions. Uh, but there again, it's not publicly available data. Uh, Dr. Kevin Stillwagon is actually working on an interesting project at the moment where he's going back in, in one of the union magazines. They, they, publish, um, they publish the deaths um, that, that have occurred over like the last year. And now this isn't, it's, this isn't comprehensive data because not every pilot who dies is entered into that magazine. Uh, there has to obviously be permission from the family. Um, but what he's noticed is that um, there's there's quite a number of of young pilots. He's been going and actually finding the obituaries um, and linking them up with with the names uh, that are coming out in this in this union magazine. And it, it's 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 been um, very concerning to see the number of those that died from from sudden death. So, Josh, um, UK cardiologist Dr. Asim Malhotra, who's really come out with great concerns over the, the vaccines after he himself promoted the vaccines on Good Morning Britain, a lot of TV stations. He took the vaccine himself, one of the COVID-19 shots. His father, prominent physician, was vaccinated and actually died of a cardiovascular event after the vaccine. And Malhotra and I have been communicating for over a year. He's been on the McCullough Report. He wanted to publish his own analyses, uh, which is a very honorable thing to do. He did it. He's concluded based on his research uh, and all of his experience that, in fact, he was wrong and the vaccines are dangerous. The risks of death are too high. And so Malhotra and I are in a mini um, little video documentary, and it's called Until Proven Otherwise. And what we both have said, and I want your reaction to this, we, what we both said is in cardiac arrests like this young man who's 36 years old who sadly died on an airplane, uh, as a as a pilot in training, that he um, uh, his death was due to the vaccine until proven otherwise. Meaning it was there was no suicide, there was no drug overdose, there's no motor vehicle accident. We can rule all those out. So until proven otherwise, meaning if his if his uh, spouse and his family comes out and said, hey, he didn't take the vaccine, the vaccine is not implicated, we can rule it out. But if the family is silent on the vaccine, it's safe to conclude from a public health perspective that this was a vaccine-related death. Um, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, I think you're 100% correct. And, and I don't want to, um, to draw assumptions. I, I don't know for sure that he was vaccinated. But just knowing what I know about the, vac the vaccine numbers at the airlines, it's, you know, among pilots, it's well over 80%, you know, um, on, on an average basis. So I, I think it's fair to assume that he probably was vaccinated. Uh, but I, I do hope the family comes out. I, I hope they I hope they let us know, you know, what what really happened. And I think I think silence um, 
exactly like you said, I, I think silence would be a good indicator. Now, the FAA is doing an investigation, uh, but it'll be interesting to see if they do an autopsy. And if, and if so, you know, what, what that report says and, or if they'll even release the data. Uh, but I, I think it's very unlikely that the FAA is going to be transparent with what actually happened. I think they're going to, going to do everything in their power um, to, to blame anything but the vaccines. Do you think that the FAA will do like so many of these press releases and other organizations do where they simply don't mention the vaccine status? That's correct. I believe that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, you have to understand that, that the FAA is a very broken agency and, and they're directly responsible for this. You know, in their own aeromedical examiner's guidance, it states that no pilot should be taking a medical product until 12 months post full FDA approval. So by allowing pilots to even take the vaccine in the beginning, um, they, they violated their own guidance. So, you know, there's a tremendous amount of liability here. And I don't believe that you're going to see any any type of transparency or internal audit. Um, you know, we, we have whistleblowers coming out of the FAA, um, gentlemen like Bruce McGray, who's a very senior agent. Um, and, and he's come out, he's been very vocal. And he's said things to the effect of it's not a matter of if we have an accident, but when. Very, very concerning that we have a situation where we have had a, a pilot, a young man, 36 years old, die shortly after takeoff, unable to be resuscitated on the flight with uh, flight attendants, defibrillator, two doctors. They return to Chicago O'Hare Airport, and there's a dead young man and lots of questions to be uh, answered, including did he take one of the COVID-19 vaccines? What type of investigation should be done? Autopsy and revealing the true cause of death uh, to his family, uh, to the um, uh, FAA, the Federal Aviation um, Association, as well as the public at large. We demand to know. You've been listening to American Freedom Flyers, uh, Mr. Josh Yoder, uh, commercial airlines pilot uh, and an activist on vaccine safety. Josh, I wanted to. Uh, just make one comparison. Do you remember years ago after 9-11, uh, there was this mentally disturbed uh, man who, uh, you know, he showed up to the airport. His father had called ahead of time and said, my son's not thinking straight. He's uh, trying to put some makeshift bomb in his shoe. And, uh, you know, he goes through security and the shoe starts uh, smoking and he's known as the shoe bomber. Remember him? I do, yes. So forevermore, uh, one case, we go through security forever and people are still taking off their shoes. And everybody knows this. They go through security and the shoes have to come off and, and they go through because of one case of the shoe bomber uh, who failed at his attempt. Now we have one case of a young man who's clearly died on an airplane. It's it's unequivocal he's died on an airplane. And what the entire world wants to know is, did he take a COVID-19 vaccine? If yes, which ones and when? Because the, the, you know, the, the proximity to taking the vaccine will factor into the equation. Is he going to get a fair autopsy? Is he going to get a fair review of what's happened? Is his spouse and his family going to be given uh, the true information of what happened? And will they come clean to the FAA, the pilots union, uh, I believe he was American Airlines, one of the subsidiaries, and to the public at large. And you've indicated that you're not so confident it's going to be completely transparent what's, what's gone on. 
Yeah, I'm, as a matter of fact, uh, Peter, I'm I'm 100% confident that they're not going to be transparent with that information. And, and I say that because, you know, they're, the FAA and the airlines are, they're responsible for this. They're responsible, you know, by allowing it, you know, from an FAA perspective, and then by mandating it from an airline perspective. And, and it would shed very poor light on them, you know, if it came out that, that he was vaccinated, this is what's happened. And, and especially for the fact that you remember um, December 15th of last year, you were actually involved in the letter that went to the FAA and all the major airlines actually warning them about this very thing. And we, even at that point, we had other examples of, of pilots who, who had, um, who had issues in flight. And I remember you, you spent a lot of time on that paper. And, and so we, we warned them, we told them it was coming. Um, they didn't listen to us then. And I don't think that there's a lot of hope for them being proactive at this point because of the liability issues raised. But let's say it is, let's say it is taken all the way. This is a vaccine induced, uh, let's say pulmonary embolism death. Let's say it's, it's crystal clear. Uh, and this is all brought to light and he's taken a vaccine. Let's say he's taken three of these shots, one of them within the last few months. It all comes to light. And let's just say hypothetically, the FAA, the pilots unions, the, uh, the companies, they all agree that there's been a giant mistake with COVID-19 vaccination. They all agree. From a pilot's perspective, what needs to happen next? What would be the next steps to, to handle this evolving crisis? I think the first thing that we need to do is roll out a, a massive cardiac testing program and really get to the bottom of this. We know that the, the current cardiac tests that pilots are given, it's nothing more than an EKG. So you get a baseline EKG at 35 years old, and then at the age of 40, you start getting an EKG every year. Uh, but as we, as you have spoken about many times, you know, myocarditis seems to be a very, uh, a very common side effect of these vaccines. And we know that EKGs um, don't detect myocarditis. And, and I believe you said more than 50% of people with myocarditis have zero symptoms, meaning that we have a bunch of pilots out here who one, don't even know if they have it. And, you know, and perhaps the first symptom is, is sudden cardiac death. So this is where we have a major problem there. There needs to be screening. We need to get to the bottom of this. That way these people can be treated um, b- before they do end up dying in a flight death. So to put pilots, take them out, uh, out of the rotation, comprehensive cardiac screening, EKG, blood tests, uh, the tests that I get uh, and, and I follow the American Heart Association cardiomyopathy uh, guidelines, which would apply to myocarditis. So I get a high sensitivity troponin, blood BNP, ST2, galactin-3. Um, I also get D-dimer, which is a test we've become uh, comfortable in using post-vaccination to give an, an, an indication of the proclivity for blood clots. Uh, echocardiogram, uh, and, and then I think on a selective basis, cardiac MRI, that'd be very expensive to do. But if anybody starts to show anything that would suggest a problem, do cardiac MRI. And, and cardiac MRI is very good at ruling things out. When that's negative, we can be sure things are good. That, that we get a sense that there's a cardiovascular, cardiopulmonary safety in our pilots. I think helpful screening uh, would be as well. I'd want to know for all the pilots, did they take the vaccine or not and when they take it? I mean, that's fundamental. I would want to know in the pilots, you know, do they have a history of a blood clot in the past? Do they have a history of cardiovascular disease? Because that puts them at risk to um, actually succumb if they have one of these events. Uh, is there a family history of blood clotting disorders? Blood clotting disorders, very important. Uh, Dion Sanders, former Dallas Cowboy, great. Now, has had an arterial embolized syndrome after multiple shots. And I wrote this up on my Substack 
and uh, it reveals that he has a family history of blood clotting. Now, Dion does a whole docu series and about you know how he takes the amputations of his toes and he can't walk and he's in a wheelchair, he's on the sidelines trying to coach, but he doesn't put two to two together that he's taken the vaccine and that's tipped him over into this blood clotting uh, event. Uh, but I'd want historical information like that, a comprehensive uh, cardiovascular uh, thromboembolic uh, screening program and, uh, and then be able to potentially revisit higher risk cases and, and let people know they're at risk. If this young man knew that he had a blood clot or, or risk for a blood clot, things may have been different. And unfortunately for him, there's no second chance. Josh, do you have any final comments for our audience today? Uh, yes, I do. You know, I, I really want people to, to share this information, share this story and, and, and get it out there, uh, get it in the public. I believe the only way that we're going to see real change at the airlines with what's happening right now is when there's public outrage. I mean, obviously, many of the employees, like we're aware of it, is something that we speak about internally uh, frequently. Uh, but it's not going to be it's not going to be until until the public gets behind U.S. Freedom Flyers, helps us with uh, with litigation. I think that's the only way that we see this through. I, I don't believe they're voluntarily going to come out and do the right thing, the testing, as we just discussed. Um, I think it's going to have to be through through major litigation that actually forces their hand. Well, we're going to have to see what happens with this important vignette. So uh, these cases, unfortunately, uh, certainly the ones that are happening on duty are getting some recognitions. And of course, the ones that are happening off duty uh, when they're not flying or in the airport, those uh, are, are so, thus far concealed. But thank you so much for sharing this and spending time with us on the McCullough Report. Thank you, Dr. McCullough. I appreciate it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.